The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Tonight we're going to, uh, tonight's Bible study is, we're, we're going to go straight pretty much to Bible study. Um, I don't have the voice to try to even begin to sing without coughing and hacking up my lung. So, and, uh, but that's good because we can talk about what, uh, what we're looking at tonight. Um, is a, I told y'all we're going to kind of go away from the, from the Matthew sermon series for one week and talk about this. Hopefully I can break it out, get it all out there that we need to talk about tonight. I think we can, and then we will be back into Matthew next week. And so, as we do this, um, excuse me. <coughs> so, I'm going to make sure this don't turn off. All right, so as we, we get started, this week we're taking a sh- that short break. Um, the subject we're going to talk about needs to be discussed because there's sometimes there seems to be a confusion when it comes to liberty of the believer, Christian liberty, and the unity in the corporate body of Christ. Maybe it might, might not seem like there's a confusion, but there's uh, maybe an inconsistency there. And so... Tonight we're going to talk about the message, and we're going to just go ahead and go forward. Um, we're, we'll talk about, back it up one, back it up one, alright, we're going to talk about Christianity and the dangers of isolationism. So, what do you, when you hear the word isolation, what do you, what do you think about, what does that mean? By yourself. By yourself. It's a good way of looking at it. It's separated, right? By oneself, by itself. So if someone was, if someone had a, if someone had a disease or they had a bad virus and you isolated them into quarantine, you would want to keep that person that has the virus away, right? You isolate. You find the source of it, and then you treat or eradicate the source. All right. So when we talk about this, it's going to be a big. It's a bigger. There's more to it than that. So, I, I put this picture with it as if there's a can, giant canyon there. If you think of it in that such. And this person is by themselves. And when we think of Christian liberty, you might not think of that. You might not think of someone as um, being alone. Or, we'll ask this question, what... what Here's a question, the number one point is a question. Where does Christian liberty begin and end? I mean, I think that's a fair question, isn't it? I mean, where does Christian liberty begin and end? Now, I'm not going to give you a definitive answer, but I'm going to give you kind of a perimeter from Scripture, a general perimeter from Scripture. I mean, is there a place... Where Christian liberty can go too far. Well, time and time again, we find in Scripture that tells us what? You you have this liberty, but in your liberty, in this freedom, don't sin, right? 
So look at, let's look at 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to look at a lot of chat passages in 1 Corinthians today. 1 Corinthians 10, 23-33. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things built up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go eat, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been sacrificed or has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who informs you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which for, which, for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. I know I preached a whole message on this passage. but So we have to start here. There is liberty for the believer, isn't there? There's liberty for the believer. In fact, Galatians 5, chapter, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand, stand there firm, therefore, and so don't uh, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now I'm, I'm going to stop there for a second, and I'm, I'll read the rest of it. But I want us to understand this. In verses one through twelve, when he when verse one he says, "For for freedom, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery." We're, we're, it's an important passage for us to read because. We have been given liberty in Christ Jesus. We are to stand firm and not return to any form of a yoke of slavery. We have liberty, but that liberty is confined in what? It's confined in Christ and what he has set us free, how he has set us free, and what he has set us free to. Paul goes on and says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ, be, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And he goes on and says, You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. And he goes on and on. But what I want us to see there, there is liberty for the believer. And, and here's the thing. We need to be careful, uh, pastors, churches, other church members, we need to be careful when we look at things that we are not trying to, uh, we're not trying to enforce, and I'll, and I'll talk about this later, but we're not our, our own personal preferences. We're not trying to enforce our preferences on. Remember when we talked about this? About there are things that that we maybe you might not do, 
You might not read, you might not look at, you might not eat, you might... Because for you, you're able to... It keeps your 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 relationship with the Lord. You draw near to Him. And, it, and for to have those things or to do those things can be stumbling blocks. But just because something might cause me to stumble does not mean that I enforce that same particular preference, that same form of piety upon someone else. For me to do that is to is to take and enslave you to a form of righteousness that Christ never called us to and hold you to a standard by which you probably can't meet because you're not going to meet it according to my standard. And that in itself... For us as Christians, we have been given liberty, true liberty, and, and we have the ability under Christ, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, to undergo and take on those things. Here's the other side of that, though. We have liberty. However, number uh, for letter B, but one should not allow liberty to become a detriment. We don't allow our liberty to become a detriment. And a detriment is something that is something that can hurt us, okay? That can hurt myself or others. It can become something that's not a positive become, but becomes a very large negative. <coughs> in that same passage of Scripture in Galatians 5, which we were reading just a second ago, it goes on in verse 13 through 15. He says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We are to have freedom in Christ. We have the liberty to do certain things. There are some things that I can, I can be in the presence of, and I'm not going to sin. There are things maybe that you could be in the presence of and you just might sin. However, if I know that something I watch on TV, something I'm reading, something that I talk about could cause you to stumble in sin, if I know you struggle in that, yet I continue to do the very thing, my liberty can become a detriment, not only to, my, not to myself, but to others. It says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. It means also be careful that you're not just doing things just because you can, and you, in, in, in your flesh means you sin. But, but through love, serve one another. Don't do things just because we're satisfying our own flesh. Love one another. That's the, the law that we're looking at. <clears throat> and it leads us to another point. And really this is what I'm trying to walk through is I'll get to another, the final part. But this leads us to another point that will move us forward in the discussion. See, the priesthood of all believers, we've talked a lot about that, is a plurality and not a singularity. And I have to explain this to you. The priesthood of all believers is a plurality, not a singularity. What does is, what is plural mean? If, when you're talking about the lang English language, what does plural mean? Anybody know? More than one. 
and singular means one, right? Plural, a plurality. The priesthood of, of all believers is not about just one person. Y'all got it? Y'all get it written down? All right. That passage that we go to about the priesthood of all believers, we'll come back to this, guys. Don't worry about it. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you notice I underlined all these words? All right. Uh, when we talk about a race, when we're talking about this, this a race, is that as a race one person? No. A, na a priesthood. He could have said, you are a chosen race. You are a priest. It doesn't say priest, does it? It says priesthood. That means talking about more than one. <coughs> nation. Do you have a nation of one person? Um, I, I, if you do, you probably belong in a padded room somewhere and you know locked away because you have mental issues or you're disturbed and you need a lot of prayer and need some other issues. But nation. More than one person, isn't it? A people. You might be a person, but you're not a people by yourself, right? You see the plurality, what I mean, more than one? The whole way through, this passage not, speaks not only to the individual. You are part of that plurality, but it's not just about you. It's something, as I, as I begin reading through and thinking about this, the dangers... The dangers of isolationism is that when we look at Scripture, yes, when I look at Scripture, God, what are you speaking to me? What do you want to use? How do you want to use this in my life? How do I apply this? How does this transform me? Yes, we can do that. But do you understand that not all Scripture is about you? That it could be about us? Not, not only does the Holy Spirit empower you, we find in Scripture that He empowered people, empowered groups, empowered all the apostles at one time. And, and, and it's important for us to see this. 1 Corinthians 6, just like 1 Corinthians 10, says something similar. It says... All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant for is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and for the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members uh, make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, <coughs> the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. 
Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, I want you to understand he's talking about, about individuals and he's talking about more than one person at the same time. He said, don't you know that your bodies, he's speaking to the group, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? <coughs> You're part of Christ. You are part of his body. Not, we're not talking about the physical body. We're talking about what? We're talking about a symbol here. He says, don't you know that your body your body is a temple of what? Of the Holy Spirit. We, are, we have the Holy Spirit, who here in Christ have the Holy Spirit abiding in us, guiding us in all truth, uh, making us knowledgeable of sin, convicting us of unrighteousness and all these things. We are not our own. And it's important for us to look at this aspect. You and I aren't our own. For we were bought at a price. What was the price of what 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 was the price paid for us? Huh? Christ died for us. He bought us with a price. With his very own life. So we glorify God in our bodies. But when we look at this body, we need to understand that, yes, there's aspects he speaks to us but he as individuals, but he speaks to us <coughs> as believers, as the body of Christ. And so this idea of Christian liberty, let's go to part, point number two. Christian liberty does not trump or deny the corporate unity. There's something that, in particular, that that continues to I continue to struggle with as I hear them, or hear other people say it, or I watch other people walk and say certain things. Let me ask a simple question for us, since we're a small fellowship. Who is the church? Huh? The people of God, right? If I ask what is the church or who is the church, the proper question is always who is the church, correct? It's important. It's the people of God. But there's certain aspect that we need to get. As I look in this room, around the room, I see individuals, don't I? There's several people. What if I told you, what if I told you, you're not the church? What if I told you, you are not the church? <coughs> huh? What if I look at you as an individual... And I said, you are not the church. 
but you're part of it. Here, here's the thing. I'd be wrong if I looked at this group of people and said, listen guys, y'all aren't the church. Y'all are not really. That'd be, But when someone tells me a church, the church is not a place you go, it's, it's the people of God. Well, that's not where you end. You can't end there. Because the people of God are about what Christ does, about what God does. And so Christian liberty does not trump or deny corporate unity. And where did that come from? And believe it or not, if someone comes and they listen to this later or, or they hear it, I want to very, be very specific. I am not talking about the institutional church. At one bit. But the individual liberty we have in Christ does not trump the corporate, the body, the unity that we ha are to have. Never does it trump it. Never does it deny it. And that's why I want to make sure we, we understand when I'm talking about the corporate, the corporate body, the unity that we're talking about, I am not talking about a church organization. Okay? I'm not talking about that. But there's certain aspects we'll see very clearly as we look at this. At part, I should have told you put A on there. See, corporate unity is not the same thing as uniformity. I am not saying that we all have to agree upon every little thing. And we all have to dress exactly the same. And we all have to use the exact same translation of the Bible. And we all have to only sing these songs. And, and all of us have to follow these rules. And all of us have to do these things. Uniformity means that there's no, there's no room for difference. I'm not talking about there's no difference between anyone. Everyone acts and does everything exactly the same. Romans 14 talks to us about this. It says, As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. If you, if you have anything, write down there, write that word, opinions. I have a phrase, and I'm not going to put it online, about opinions. But opinions are like something, and they all stink. Everybody has them, and they all stink. At some point in time. But opinions... As for the one who's weak in the faith, welcome him, but don't quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Vegans. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. 
Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the other who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. For this, to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord, both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or are you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's risen, written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, don't let us pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block. Hinder, listen to this. Never to put, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Can you know if you're going to call someone to stumble always? No. We're not talking about that. But if you know deliberately this is going to cause your brother or your sister in Christ to stumble, don't do it. Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. I'm not going to let someone speak of what I eat as evil. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit around and, and call someone else to stumble. I'm not going to intentionally set this person up. In fact, if this person struggles with the fact that I eat catfish... Because people think it's a trash fish and you shouldn't. Or I eat shrimp or I eat these things. Or any other little aspect. I'm not going to go intentionally do that because I don't need to have those quarrels over opinions. Or those quarrels over personal convictions and preferences. And I'm not going to cause my brother to become uptight and angry. Because everything, this according to the scripture, everything we are to do, we do it unto the Lord and for the good of the body. I don't do it in order to cause my brother to stumble and sin. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So let us then pursue what makes peace makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. It's not about uniformity, but it is about unity. Everything we are to do is for the what? The mutual upbuilding, the mutual edification, the mutual strengthening of the body. <clears throat> do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. And let me just say this. You can take out food and say your personal preferences, your personal convictions, your personal opinions. Do not, for the sake of personal whatever, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats or what he does. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because it's not the, the, the eating is not from faith. For whatever he does not 
what he does not does not perceive from faith is sin. What we are highlighting today is not a call to uniformity. I'm not asking everyone here to like the same things, to talk the same way, to be the same people. When it comes to uh, particular preferences, but both a spiritual and physical unity under Christ is the body of Christ. Because here's the thing. For some people, for some people, Christian liberty becomes isolationism. And this becomes dismemberment from the body. You know, you cut a snake's head off, the body will wriggle around for a long time, up to hours sometimes. Let me ask you a question. Is that snake body dead or alive? It's dead. I'm not talking about the mouth. <laughs> Excuse me. Why I say that is for a reason. Y'all know when we've, I know this is gruesome for social media, but we've butchered chickens, and what happens sometimes, you, some of them just go off to sleep real quick, right, don't they? And then some of them, you go to, they've been sitting there for five, ten minutes, and you go to pick them up, and they decide to move. Not necessarily that they're alive, right? See, sometimes we look, we look at, we look at lives. Some people look at their lives and they and they look at where they're at. And they'll even say, listen, I'm part of the body. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm going to church. I'm a part of the church. But they're dismembered from the body. They don't know it. They wriggle around and they... They, they're able to say some things and talk about things like other Christians, but they don't have... They're not, they're not united to the body. Once again, I'm not saying particularly about organized church. But when someone tells me they're a part of the church, but they're not connected to the church, we have to ask questions. Because isolationism what happens when y'all saw that picture of the man standing out there all by himself? What happens eventually if he just isolates himself from the world and the things of the world and everybody else? He goes crazy. He goes crazy? He could. Do we ever isolate ourselves completely? Most people, we, we don't really, do we? We pick and choose. Don't we? We pick and choose where we're connecting, right? Okay. So that doesn't come off as a personal preference or a personal conviction or a personal opinion. I want to, I want to share something with you from the Bible. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, we've read this. 
For just as the body is one, how many bodies are there? One. All right, y'all keep that in mind when we ask you these questions. Just as the body is one and has many members, how many members? So there's one body, so there's not multiple bodies, right? One body, and it has one, how many members? Many. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. It's important they keep saying this, huh? So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, right? Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, right? Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. Okay, I want y'all to hear, I want, you see why I underline that? It's how, the body doesn't consist of one member, but many. I know this is easy, but I'm, t I'm, I'm there's a reason why he outlined this. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. Okay. And if the ears should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? Where would be the, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, go ahead and say it. Who arranged it? God arranged what? The members of the body in the body, each one that he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Now, I will say this. There's only, if we look at Ephesians, or how many heads are there? There's what? One head, right? And that's Christ. So no one gets to be the head. We're all parts of the, all parts of the body, but we're not all the same. If we were all hands... Used for helping and serving. But we have no feet to get us there. What use are we? We're useless, aren't we? Yeah, you'd be, you'd be an octopus, but all the tentacles cut off. Think about this. You have all the hands and the feet that you need, but you have no eyes to see. How do you know where you're going? You have no one to hear. How do you know when you how do you know when you see and hear when you've gotten there where God would have you to be? So there's all these parts of the body. They're all put and they're all specific. Let's let's go on. As it is, there are many parts yet one body. Verse 21. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Now listen, one thing, the first part of this says because I'm not the hand I'm not part of the body. So the part, this one part says, because I can't be the hand, I don't want to be a part of the body. Now, it says, here's a part. It says, the I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
ever break a thumb, you'll understand. Eh, it's just a thumb. It's hard to grab things without your thumb. And those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are which which our more presentable parts don't need require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You corporately are members of the, are, are the body of Christ and individually you are members, you're parts of it. He <coughs> goes on to say, God appointed the church first apostles, second prophets, teachers, miracles, and all those things. That's not the, that's not the point that I want to get from this. When I say Christian liberty becomes can becomes isolationism and it becomes dismemberment, you got four little blanks there, right? At the bottom of your page. All right, I'm going to read these to you. I want you to think from this passage of Scripture, all of us in, who are in Christ are part of one body. All of us who are in Christ are part of one body. Secondly, none of us can remove ourselves from this body. If we are in Christ, we cannot remove ourselves from the body. There is no excuse. In fact, we who are in Christ ought to seek how we are to use God's gifts that He's given us for the sake of the body, not for the sake of ourselves. Thirdly, none of us can separate or dismember a part of the body. We are not talking about quote-unquote church discipline. We're not talking about that aspect. What I'm saying is we cannot separate we cannot dismember a part of the body. We can't dismember ourselves from the body, and we cannot say, I don't need you. In some way, that's the famous last words of a fool. To say, I am part of the church, but I don't need you is the most foolish thing we can say. Because the parts, each part of the body relies on another part. The hand can do nothing without the rest of the arm. Alright? Injure any part of this arm and the hand can suffer it. Injure any part of the neck and you can lose feeling. When there's damage to other parts of the body, what happens? The whole body suffers with it. That's what he's pointing out. And it's easy for us to physically say, oh, I hurt my back and now my leg hurts, my neck hurts, my arms hurt. I can't get around. And 
But when we go to the spiritual aspect of the body of Christ and some part of the body says, listen, I don't need you. I don't need to be a part of you. That part is not thinking rationally because God did not ever create for us to be alone in and of, our, in and of ourselves to anything. I can point it out particularly even in Genesis chapter 1 going into chapter 2. It is not good for man to be alone. And he created a helpmate for him. One like him. Because there was a none, no helper that was found like him. That was favorable to him. Comparable to him. And so when God, instead of creating another being, another creature, God created woman. And the two become one flesh. Interesting, become one body. When we look at this aspect, the body of Christ is made up of many members. And every one of us are a part, who are in him are part of it. And not one of us can succeed. Not one of us can live apart from the others. We can try, but all we are is just like that snake that has had the head dismembered. The body wriggles and wriggles around for hours, but it is dead apart from it, the rest of the body, the rest of it. All of this, fourthly, is because God has arranged and purposed Christ's body. And there's something that goes on with this. God has arranged every part of the body to be where it's at. I am not like every other part of the body, and you're not like me, and that doesn't make my, me any more important than you. It doesn't make any of us more important. Than, we're all needed. We're all necessary. And the body functions Fully and perfectly, most perfectly, when what? We're connected to one another. So it's got me thinking. I asked this question a while ago, but you as an individual are not the church. But a part of the church that has a particular function. He never created us as individuals to be the whole church, the whole body. We can't do it all. Secondly, our families are not the church. We're part of it. We're several particular parts of it that each have a particular function, but we're not the whole church. That's why it's it's fine for us to have family devotion. It's fine for us to have the conversations about these things of Christ. It's fine for us to study God's word. But as families, we are not, as a whole, we can't do it all either. We're just particular parts of the body of Christ. And as families, we need other families. We need other people. 
Our little gathering here is not the full church. But we have several members of the body present, each with a particular function. And here's the thing that I start thinking about. And in fact, I'd go as far as to say is that our prayers for our little gathering here ought to be aimed and focused on God bringing more and more functioning parts of the body to join with us. That together we can accomplish more towards building the His kingdom. Our prayers ought to be aimed at that. It's not about building up a get. It's not even a, a, an organization. It's not. It's about how that we together can all be used for His kingdom purpose locally, and then be going beyond. And that might mean that we have to come together with others at times or other local gatherings of the saints to fulfill the kingdom call. We can't be satisfied with trying to do everything. I think sometimes we... we, we we look at the the dawning task of certain things before us, and we don't take anything on because we think we because we can't do it. We can't do it in and of ourselves. There's some things that, no matter how hard we try, we can't. We just can't. But we cannot isolate ourselves from the rest of the body of Christ. And then turn around and try to act as if we are part of the church. The body, for the body to act, be actively living and functioning, what do we have to do? You have to be connected. And I, I started thinking, you know, there, there's so many blessings that we have through social media and, and the like. <coughs> But the blessings that we have can be a detriment in the same way. Just because I could see and I can message people on social media doesn't mean that we know each other. And it's easy for us to hide behind our screens and talk about what the Christian is supposed to do, but when it comes to the actual functioning of the church of the body of Christ. You have to be actually connected. I can pray for anyone anywhere in this world. That's great. We can do that. But when it comes to meeting the very foreseen needs in front of us, someone over in another state on the East Coast or the West Coast, they're not going to hop in a car and come over here and help meet that need. Nor should they have to, because they'd have to pass by how many other needs in order to do so. God has called us and He has positioned us, He has placed us here. And isolationism, to isolate ourselves from the body, will not help growth. You'll have infection set in, and you'll have death to that part. Because he never called us and he never created us to do it on our own. We might not all 
here, we might not all agree on every little thing. We might not always go the same direction. God might gift has gifted us all differently. Even amongst you kids, y'all might have a lot of similar things that you like to do, but God gifts us and gives us talents. And he gives us knowledge that only we have, and He can use that. I just ask this. Think about this. Don't let your liberty isolate you. Because you're going to turn around at some point in time and you're going to cry out for help. But you're going to be like a man standing in the midst of a vast amount of canyons. And the only person that will hear you is God. Who's been constantly telling you turn around and connect, turn around and connect, turn around and connect. It's too late. Most people don't need the church until, until they need it. And it's too late sometimes. He created us to live passionately for Him and for one another. My goal is not to see myself built up by what I preach or I teach. And it's not about seeing myself built up and, and the, I want to be this awesome communicator or anything. I want to see the best for each person in this room. I want the best for you because the best for you turns around and it blesses me. Because I know that there are others God is using. It gives me confidence to take on my little corner, my little area. I mean, honestly, this is just but a, an hour of our time. I can only imagine what God can do throughout the rest of your week. When we take this little bit He's given us and we launch it out, we throw it out and use it in our lives. I look forward and long for seeing God move in your life. And coming back and that we can rejoice together in what God has done. Not because of me, but because of Him and your faithfulness. My prayer is that the older you get, you don't isolate yourself from the body because you're more mature. You know what happens in a body of Christ? The weak ones need more mature. Those who aren't as wise need the wise. Those who are weak need the strong. Those who are young need the older. Those who, who, are, who are new to things, whether it be to marriage, they're new to a job, they're new to fatherhood or motherhood, they need godly men and godly women in their lives encouraging them. Praying over them, strengthening them. That's what we need. But that can only be done as the body of Christ comes together. 
And the only way we can share those things is by coming together. In whatever way God uses that, whether it be a little home fellowship, a little Bible study in a coffee shop, a home in-home prayer with somebody else, or, you know, not all churches that have buildings are bad. Whatever God uses, let us find ourselves tied to Him and tied to one another that we might see life, abundant life, and see His kingdom impacted greatly. Let's pray. Father, I, I'm sure I didn't do a good enough job because, Lord God, I'm not, not a perfect man. Lord God, I, I might not have all the answers, and Lord, I don't try because I know you're the one who is the source of all things. But Lord, if there's any message that can be sent out, Lord, we can't build. Building alone, Lord, either we're going to die before it's finished. But we never get the get it get a wall off the ground. Lord, you've called us together. You've mended us together. You've placed us and purposed our lives together. Lord, may may we as your body seek to find others to join the journey that you have. Not just intellectually, but Lord God, physically walking together. I thank you for our gathering. I thank you for our families and this friendships that we have. But Lord, we can't build. As Jordan Wilson had said this week, you... You can't build a Christian you can't build a Christian civilization on friendship alone. We must do it in obedience to the law word of God. Lord, we need to take our jobs and our work and our schooling and our homes and everything else we do and submit it to the Lordship of King Jesus. Lord, my prayer is that we don't try to do this alone. That we lock hand in hand, arm in arm, and Lord God, walk together to fulfill your purpose as you have created us to be. Lord, forgive us of our shortcomings, our failures, and our a lack of reliance on you. Lord, I pray that we set our sights upon you and walk firmly. Lord God, walk straight path towards the purpose and calling you have given us. We ask these saints in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.